Kishay Nadira, she's the empress who tells it like it is. Now, straighten up your crown and be elevated through conversation. Conversation with the royal empress. Welcome everyone and thank you for joining us for another episode of Conversations with the Royal Empress. This is Akila, and joining me are my fellow co-hosts, Lakishe Nadira. Peace everybody. And Dr. Hakima. Peace and blessings. All right, sisters, so let's get started. As many of you are aware, this is Minority Mental Health Month and all month long we have chosen topics related to our mental health. And tonight is no different. We will discuss the stigma associated with mental health care in the Black community, with a special focus on Black women, because many of us tend to suffer in silence. Later in the podcast, you will hear some solutions and encouragement to seek help because so many shy away from assistance. To help us with this topic, we have a special guest. She is mental health awareness advocate, Kim Beverly Muhammad. First, a little bit about Kim. Kim earned a bachelor's degree in sociology from William Patterson University, a master of arts in education with a concentration in early childhood education from the University of Phoenix. And most recently, she earned a master's of science in clinical mental health counseling from Walden University. Her goal is to specialize in working with preschool age children and with women of color who suffer from depression and anxiety. As an advocate for mental health, she is actively involved in bringing awareness to mental health issues. Her current venture, The Green Dress Project, seeks to empower African-American women by erasing the stigma and breaking the silence associated with mental illness. Kim is also an active member of Zeta Phi Beta Sorority Incorporated, and she happens to be my soror. Welcome to the show, Kim. Thank you for having me. So I'll start the conversation out. Um, Kim, it's my understanding that you are not only a mental health advocate, but you're also someone who suffers from depression. Uh, Can you please share with us and our audience your journey from suffering with depression to becoming an advocate? My journey began kind of when I was a senior in high school, um, feelings of loneliness, didn't really do anything about it, didn't really address it. Had the same feeling again when I was in college around 95 or 96. Um, went through a lot of uh, life trials and errors and mistakes and different things that made me question um, 
what's wrong with me? You know, why do I keep feeling like this? Why do I feel lonely in a house full of people? Why do I feel invisible with someone sitting right next to me? You know, what is going on? You know, am I losing my mind? Um, so I, in 2003, went to see a therapist, a psychologist, and was diagnosed with dysthymia, um, which is a chronic form of depression. Um, normally the symptoms, um, one of the symptoms is um, you felt what you've been feeling for two years. And I felt since mine started in 1990, up until 2003, that it was probably a very valid um, diagnosis that I was receiving. Um, and again, I, I really didn't do a whole lot about it um, during that time. Um, after receiving the diagnosis, I did look into alternative forms of dealing with it because I really didn't want to take medication. Um, and it was after I had both of my children that I realized that I can no longer cope with depression the way that I was. You know, I, at that time, I, I wasn't like into drinking or anything, but sometimes I wanted to have a glass of wine, you know, sometimes I wanted to have a smoke of a cigarette, you know, and I didn't like having to depend on those types of things. I didn't want to go back to that because I had already left it, but I felt those feeling and those urges coming back up again to the point where I said, okay, maybe medication isn't necessarily a bad thing. Um, so in about 2013, I went and I met with a nurse practitioner, um, started telling her my situation. Um, that's when I was prescribed a, a medication. And then I also received a, a, another diagnosis of generalized anxiety disorder. Um, and that's really it, you know, and from there, I started kind of sharing my, my situation and my story. Um, I went through a lot before I got to the point where I started seeking help. It wasn't until after my second divorce that I realized that I couldn't continue in the manner that I was continuing in, which caused me to seek out therapy um, or to seek out whatever it was I was seeking at that particular time. Um, you know, I was ashamed that I was 30 years old and I had been married twice, but then I, I was trying to figure out well, why did I even allow myself to be put into those situations to begin with? And I think it, it, it definitely was the depression. You know, I was, that lonely feeling caused me to seek out situations that I didn't need to necessarily um, to be in. So Again, the embarrassment of being divorced for the second time by the time I was, before I was 30 years old, you know, caused me to especially seek out help because I'm like, I can't go through this road again. And I never even wanted to get married again after that either because I was like thinking something was really wrong with me. And once I found out what was going on, you know, yes, something is still wrong with me or something is still going on, but at least I knew what it was and I knew how to deal with it. I knew how to approach it. And I knew that in order for me to move forward, you know, there were certain things that I needed to deal with about myself. And finding out about the depression was definitely an eye opener. Um, it was an aha moment. It was a light bulb moment. And for some, it might've been devastating to hear such news, but for me, 
it was like when you watch those old black and white Fred Astaire cart, uh, shows back in the day when he would jump up in the air and click his heels <laughs> together. Like, that's kind of like the moment that I had. It was just like, and then I was thinking to myself, what is wrong with me to be so excited? But it helped me to take a certain mindset and, and, and turn it around because I really thought that I was just this nasty, bitter, angry black woman. And to know that I'm not that person, that it was something that was causing me to act out in such a way, it was, it was a good feeling to learn that that's what was going on. And then as far as advocacy? Yes, advocacy. Um, I was asked to be a part of a newsletter a few years ago, and it was after I shared that newsletter that a couple of people came up to me and they thanked me and um, they told me how I helped them to want to seek out help for themselves. And a, a part of why I wanted to share my story in that newsletter was because I wanted people to understand me at that particular time. I, um, I was lashing out, I was angry, and I wanted people, and this was before I started taking the medication and everything, and I wanted people to understand that it wasn't them personally that I was taken out. It, it's not you. It has nothing to do with you. It's me. So I felt if I shared my story and let people who were going to read that newsletter understand the reason behind my actions, then I, I don't want to say it would normalize it, but they would know that, again, it wasn't me acting out towards them personally. And I wanted them to understand I might not have spoken because I really didn't see you stand there because I'm in my own mind. You know, I'm fighting with me internally right now. It has nothing to do with you. So I wanted people to understand. And so when I shared that newsletter, my story in that newsletter, and when people began to come to me and, and thank me, you know, me and my light bulb moments, you know, I had one that, you know, maybe I need to share more of my story to to perhaps help or inspire someone else. So that's kind of where the advocacy part grew from. When you um, were talking earlier, before you even shared this information, I was going to pose the question about origin and where you actually felt like this came from. So considering that biological or hereditary or environment, what do you see as probably being the most that you might be able to relate your mental health issues to? What can I, what do I relate it most to? Right, when you think about the three, environment, hereditary, you know, or biology. Um, I would probably say more so environment. Okay. Uh, my mom was a single mom. Uh, my mom was a mom of the 70s. My mom was a mom who did drugs. And a lot of times when you're home with a parent alone who's coming down off of a high, who are they going to take that out on, whether it be mentally, emotionally, or physically? And that was me, you know. Um, my mom wasn't an addict or anything like that, but, you know, she had her fair share of 
of doing things that, again, were the norm for me. I could go back to the day that I was talking to my therapist at Howard when I was diagnosed, and he asked me, did I ever experience any trauma in my life? In my mind, at that time, trauma was, was I abused or was I sexually abused? And I was like, um, no. And then I shared with him, um, you know, him assessing and asking questions. I shared that um, I saw my mom being physically abused and I saw my mom doing drugs. And he's like, well, I thought you said you've never been through anything traumatic. I was like, that's traumatic? I was like, oh, that was a part of my normality. <laughs> that was part of my normalcy. So I didn't realize at that time that it wasn't right. I mean, that was just a part of my environment, you know? So, yeah, I definitely feel like environment plays um, more, has more of an impact or have played more of a part than, than anything else. Okay. Wow. Um, another question. And this, this is more so about judgment um have you ever felt like everyone else outside of yourself or just your within your world you know people around you do you feel like you were judged based on you know what you were going through or not because maybe at that time people didn't really know or and then even when you did share or own what you actually was at work was experiencing excuse me sharing with people like this is what I'm going through do you feel like you were judged and if so how did that impact you um do I feel do I I felt like more so I was probably judged in the past before I started sharing my story, and I'm probably judged now that I share my story. Um, the only difference is now, I don't care because it's just is what it is, whereas in the past, I did care. And I think it was more so my anxiety that made me care into care to the level that I did care to the point where there were some relationships or some, some friendships that were severed because of it you know my anxiety and my feeling like i'm being judged and now that i'm talking about it, i probably wasn't even being judged it probably was just my anxiety telling me i was being right. judged. I was, right. I was thinking right. yeah so you know now it's i could care less if you judge me you know my story you know my background i don't use it to make excuses for myself you know it just is what it is is either you accept it or you don't Whereas before, you know, I always felt like I had to explain myself. I had to get you to understand my point of view. Whereas now, I think social media has really helped me out that it's okay if you don't agree or if you don't see my way, but at least you heard me. So whatever you decide to do with it at this particular time is what you decide to do with it. But I don't even really think about the whole judgment part you know anymore at all like I said like I did in the in the past I definitely felt like it it may or may not have been the case whereas now I'm just like you know it is what it is you know hmm. beautiful I have a question you know I want to challenge um uh listening so we could relate to everything that you're saying and and, and I would like for you 
um, to address the person who feels like I hear whatever I understand everything she's saying, but I'm good. I can I can work myself through this. I don't need nobody's help. I don't need no assistance. I don't need no guidance. I can do this myself. What do you say to that person who feels that way? Um, I say, you know, in all honesty, if that's how you feel, that's how you feel. But sometimes, you know, there's different levels of rock bottom that we have to hit before we realize that we need the help. And for me, I was emotionally and mentally bankrupt. I, I couldn't deposit into my own self anymore. So it was at that time that I realized that I needed the help. It's kind of like the same with someone who's an addict. Sometimes, you know, you just have to hit rock bottom. And there have been situations where people reach out to me on social media and they, you know, they'll say that they're not ready. And I'll tell them, you know, that's okay. You know, you know, when you're ready, um, the help is there. I'm there to help. Um, but only you know when you're really ready. And if you push someone to seek help, just like with anything else, they may go, but they may not be going for all the right reasons they're going because you push them to go. So they may not necessarily be ready. So they may not be committed to the process. Emotionally and mentally, you have to be ready to help yourself. And some people just aren't there. And, and that's okay. Like I said, I've known since 1989, 1990 that something was wrong, but it had to, I had to go through a series of ups and downs, marriages, mistakes, lost relationships, crying for no reason, you know, all these different things before I realized that I can't do this by myself, you know, and it's okay, you know, but eventually you're going to get to a point where you're going to seek that help and just know that it, it's there and that, you know, you're not alone. You know, they say it's one in four people who suffer from a mental illness. So if you're in a room with four people, at least one of y'all in there have something. So, you know, you're definitely not by yourself. And again, it, it's okay, but know when you are ready that the, that the help is definitely there. Thank you. I have another question too, because as we talk about uh, mental illness and those who, who may be suffering from it, we are we always uh, like to stress the importance of surrounding yourself with a supporting cast. What do you say to those who have family members who are suffering for it? What advice can you give to them on the best ways to be supportive uh, for those who may be going through some uh, or suffering from some mental issues? Um. I would say to educate oneself. Um, don't try not to be judgmental. Um, try to be empathetic and, and put yourself in that person's shoes, whether you may understand or not understand. And it's also going to vary depending on the type of mental issue that a person has. It's different to have support for someone who suffers maybe from depression and, and anxiety versus someone who may be bipolar or schizophrenic. You know, there are support services available for people who take care of people who are diagnosed with mental illness or who are just family members. That person, you may not be directly involved in, in caring for them, but you live in their, you know, you're in their environment. 
places like NAMI, um, the National Alliance for um, Mental Illness, they offer so many different types of workshops and um, support groups for family members, you know, for, for the, um, for the, um, the mother of the son who's bipolar or the father of the son who's schizophrenic, you know, there are services available for everybody on, on every level. So whether you're the person who suffers from a mental illness, there's support there from you, or if you're the person who's dealing with it, because it can be very taxing for the other person, you know, um, so yeah, support services are available on, on both ends. You mentioned about it, or the effect that it has or, um, on family members and it being taxing, you know, and I guess this is the reason why there are support systems out there, which is absolutely great because everybody needs it, not just the person who's going through, but also the person who is experiencing it on the other end. With that being said, um, you have children, correct? How would you say, knowing that you grew up with family members, including your mom, your grandma, and others that suffered from mental illness, what would you say is the best way that you've chosen to either support your children um, as you go through your ups and downs or highs or lows, or even just exposing them to having a better understanding of what it is? Or is that something that you share? What is that conversation like? Is it open? Um, you mentioned being transparent. Are you as transparent with your children or is that something that you have chosen to deal with differently? Um, I think the best way that I approached the situation in itself was that I got help and I started taking the medication because I didn't want to take my frustrations, my anger, my tiredness and everything out on them, um, my children or my husband, because it's not their fault. You know, they didn't do anything to deserve the feelings that I'm feeling. Um, so. I, I, again, began taking um, medication. Um, I haven't sat down and had a conversation with them, but I will say, mommy's tired. You know, I need to take a nap. They're old enough, whereas my daughter, she's not going anywhere. I would be sleeping and she's right next to me playing or listening to whatever it is she's listening to on Netflix. And she's seven. My, my son, he's playing his video games. If she's hungry, he's going to, you know, help her out. Um, my husband, although he is still trying to understand, he um, knows when I lay down, that's, he knows. So he will step in and do whatever needs to be done, you know, for our children at that particular time. But I haven't really had to have the conversation out of, outside of sometimes mommy's tired and mommy just needs to take a nap because it hasn't gotten to a point where I had to really share anything just yet. But I do know that in the near future, it is a conversation that I'm going to sit down and have with them. But again, nothing has, hasn't really impacted us to the point where I had to sit down and have that conversation. Um, other than again, mommy's tired. My mommy needs to lay down after I come home from work. And it's so funny because it was one Sunday, um, 
my daughter, she was just getting into everything. Like I said, she's seven and she looked at me, she was like, you didn't have your nap today, did you? And I just started laughing and I said, no, I, mommy didn't have her nap. I said, and thanks for the reminder. And I went in there and I laid, I laid myself down. So that's, that's just really been it in, in terms of, um, you know, me having to deal with my children in, in terms of my situation. I have a question um, to follow up with your children because you've already stated that you feel like environment, biology, and you have a family history of uh, mental illness. Do you sit back and wonder if at any point um, your children may have to deal with this? That they could suffer from depression or that they could suffer from anxiety and, and how do you prepare them for that if it were to happen or the signs that you would look for? Um, my daughter, she, she, um, I'm not worried about her right now. She's, she's fine. My son, on the other hand, he's 12. Um, he is, he was in therapy before. Um, and I could have been overreacting, um, but I'd rather overreact than underreact. Um, I definitely recognize that there is something going on with him. Um, he was, just with my husband and myself for the first five years before his sister was born. And I was, I'm that mom that no, you can't spend a night anywhere. Um, no, you can't just go over anybody's house. And so great I think, mommy, great mommy. I think it kind of, um, I think it kind of hindered him in his social skills because he doesn't know how to socially interact with his peers without name calling or um, being aggressive and things like that. So I definitely recognize that there's something wrong. And then he doesn't talk to us about his feelings or his emotions. So when I was taking him to therapy, he asked me why. And I told him that I wanted him to understand that I'm, I don't feel like there's anything wrong with him. I don't think he's crazy or anything like that. I said, you don't talk to daddy or I. And I want you to have a safe place to talk to somebody where you're comfortable and you can share whatever it is that you want to share and you don't have to worry about them fussing at you or sending you to your room or anything like that. I said, and just note that whatever you talk about in there is between you all. I said, unless something bad happens, then you know, mommy has to know. And he, he was fine with that. And I remember it was after his first session. I was like, so what did you guys talk about? He was like, mommy what we talk about stays in the room. And I was like, okay, you know, I respect that, not a problem. And I'm currently seeking um, a black male therapist for him now because he's gotten into a lot of trouble in school this particular past year because of his anger. And I definitely feel like some anxiety is there. Um, and again, I could be overreacting, but I'd rather overreact than underreact. And I'd rather get him whatever assistance that he needs now at his age versus him being like me and finding out when I'm in my thirties. Cause I just look back, like I don't have any regrets, but I just wish I'd known then what I know now because I might've taken different paths to get to the same place where I am now. You know, I may not have made as many mistakes. I may not have always had to test the water to see if it was hot. You know, I would have just understood that the water is hot. So I definitely keep my children at the forefront 
when it comes to um, mental illness, because I do know that it runs my family. I do know that, you know, it's a part of my life. Um, and right now, my daughter, she's fine, like I said. Something may manifest in the future. I, I hope it doesn't. You know, it may or it may not. But I definitely recognize that something's going on with my son. And so I am taking whatever measures I need to take to um, get him the help that he needs, especially with being an African-American male. Well, I just want to commend you um, for being proactive. Um, oftentimes, we don't, because we don't want to admit what we might see, but like you said, it is better for you to, you know, be over than to be under. So, I mean, I think that's a good thing. So I just want to commend you for that. You know, I do want to ask another question. Can you tell me when did you get to a point where you felt like this is like the absolute lowest that you've ever been? Like that moment when you were experiencing either your depression or your anxiety and you felt like you had really reached like rock bottom. Do you recall a time or an experience where that's what you were feeling? And if so, please share. Um, I, I felt everything crashing down or, or beginning to kind of spiral downward um, in a past place of employment. Um, I'm a person who always speaks my mind. Um, I, try to, I try to practice thinking five times before I speak, but sometimes it's just best to just get it on out the way just to feel better. Um, and so I found myself working with individuals who were just unhappy, who thrived in gossip, who thrived in other people's misery, who thrived in unhappiness. And I felt myself getting pulled into that world. And so I, I was trying to find a way out, you know, trying to find other places of employment. And it just was not working for me, you know, and it was getting to the point where I wanted to fight. And I felt that if I don't get out of this environment, it's not going to end well for somebody, whether it be me or whether it be one of my employees, um, co-workers at that time. But I knew something had to give. And I remember just laying in my room one day and I just started crying. I was like, I can't do this anymore you know and I knew that a big part of it was my anxiety I knew a big part of it was just the environment it was just so much that just wasn't meshing well together and after six years of that particular place of employment you know I knew something had to give or I was or I was going to lose my mind um and so it was at that moment that I was like you know I need to get some help I need to I need to not, not even so much get some help. I had medication prescribed to me at that time. I just wasn't taking it. Um, I didn't want to take it. I didn't want to be addicted or dependent on medication, but I needed that medication to walk into that building 
to help me to cope and, and to function. So that's kind of when I had that moment of, okay, something, something needs to give here. Um, after I left that job, I wasn't as stressed. I wasn't as depressed. Um, my anxiety didn't get the best of me. And I think it had a lot to do with the fact that I did begin taking the medication. Um, I take two, three sometimes, depending on what's going on at um, that particular time. Um, you know, like I said, it is, I always say it is what it is because it is what it is. It's just something that I need to do to, you know, to, 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 to keep my focus and, and to cope. Do I, I still have my bad days. I still, you know, cry sometimes, you know, for no reason, but hey, comes with the territory. So, you know. Thank you. Thank you for sharing that. One more question I do have is this. You talked um, a little bit about, or at least in, your, in the introduction, about some of the things that you're doing with the youth and your desires and um, advocacy work. I would like to know if you had a young person who came to you who was battling with um, any type of mental health um, challenges um, and felt like, you know, they were desperate and just needed some words of encouragement. What would you say to them? You know, how would you let them know or communicate to them that it's going to be okay? Um. I most definitely would let them know that they're not alone. Um, and I would even go as far as sharing some of myself with that individual so that they can see that they're not alone, that, you know, everybody goes through something um, and that it, it just may manifest differently. Um, it might just be dealt with differently, but that they're not alone, um, that there are, um, again, services that are available. You know, I'm available um, to talk to. But again, I think that's a part of what put me on the journey of wanting to share my story with others is because I wanted people to understand that, one, you're not alone. Two, um, it's okay to feel what you feel. Sometimes we tell people, oh, no, there ain't nothing wrong with you, or don't, don't feel that way. But if that person is really hurting, why shouldn't they feel that way? You know, I think helping to validate feelings is very, very important when, um, you know, talking to people when they're reaching out to you. Um, one of the things that, um, that led me to wanting to work with preschool age children was the fact that when I worked for Head Start, you know, I made a lot of referrals for children um, for social emotional support. And the parents, they didn't want to take it because, you know, the therapist didn't look like them, you know? And so we have these families and these babies that are not getting the help or the support that they need because they don't want to deal with the person who doesn't look like them. So 
that kind of put me in a position to say, okay, I have this master's degree in early childhood education. I have my own mental health issues. I recognize some issues in my families. I recognize some issues in the children that I deal with. How do, how do I put myself out there to help these families? Or if not families, a family or just an individual. So that's what kind of put me on the road to seeking out my, um, my master's in clinical mental health counseling. So on top of the education and my experience, you know, I would definitely let the person know that I, that I understand, first and foremost, and that their feelings are valid. We teach or we're supposed to teach children how to express themselves social and emotionally um, to help cut back on uh, aggressive behaviors, but we don't stop to think that adults sometimes don't know how to, you know, express themselves um, social and emotionally either. So helping that young person to express themselves, you know, I would encourage, you know, journaling and, you know, uh, asking them to think back to a time where they felt happy and, you know, possibly using that particular situation to help bring some happiness back into their lives again you know talk about self-care i mean there's so much that i feel i could talk to a young person you know about um but i think the primary thing is just letting them know that they're they're not alone and that their their feelings are definitely um valid feelings that whatever it is that they're feeling hey it's akila again I wanted to ask you a question. I wanted to go back to when I asked you the question about your children and you mentioned taking your son to counseling. And you said, you told him, you're not crazy. And when I heard that, I thought about the stigmas that are associated with someone having a mental health diagnosis, as in thinking that someone is crazy, or even the mere fact that you had to say that you're not crazy. Do you think that? it's because of the stigmas that are placed uh, on people who have mental health issues is what stops people sometimes from going to, to seek help. And how do we overcome that stigma? How do we stop all of these labels that are associated with mental um, illness? Um, I wouldn't have, typically I wouldn't have said that to anybody else, but because he's my child and I wanted him to understand at a 12 year old, uh, mentality he was probably 10 at that time so that's why i used that particular word because outside of that i really don't care for it myself but i do believe that labels um are a huge problem on why we don't seek the help that we need um going back to my place of employment when i worked for head start working with children you know a lot of referrals that we made um went to kennedy krieger in Baltimore, Kennedy Krieger is like a curse word, like a bad word, because most of the time they feel if you're going to Kennedy Krieger, like you're crazy or something is wrong with you. So the moment the parents heard Kennedy Krieger, they were not signing off on no referrals, you know, for their children. They weren't signing off for their children to seek the, um, the support that they needed. So I had to kind of advocate for a name change to say, can we call our referrals social and emotional support versus mental health services? I said, because that's a huge turnoff for some people. Um, 
I said, because when you hear that, when you hear mental health or mental illness, the first thing you think is somebody's crazy or they think bipolar or they think schizophrenia. They don't think that it's just, you know, everybody has, um, not everybody, but you know, your mental health in general is important, but just sometimes, you know, we just have a couple of little, uh, trying to find a word I want to use. Um, our, our mental wellness isn't 100% basically. And sometimes we just need a little bit of support. And I wanted my families and my children to get the support that they needed. So if that meant us changing the name to get them to get the support that they needed, then that's what we're going to do. Um, but I definitely believe that the labels play a huge role. I definitely believe that we've come a long way um, due to having conversations about mental health. Um, due to podcasts like this, you know, people are starting to understand that it's not a bad thing um, and that it's okay to need help. It's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to hang up the cape. It's okay to just want to scream sometimes. You know, all that stuff is, is okay, you know, and I think the more that we validate feelings for people too, it will kind of help with the stigma you know we tell a child sometimes they may fall down and hurt themselves and, and and start bleeding but you know we we grew up in a community where it was like oh girl ain't nothing wrong you go ahead and get up and go on to play why would we tell a child who's hurt not to cry you know that's the same thing as somebody who's dealing with mental illness why would we tell somebody who's depressed not to feel that way we don't tell somebody who suffers from cancer don't don't ah, don't worry about that cancer don't, don't worry about that radiation. You know, that, that girl, go ahead. You are right. We don't do that, you know. So why, are, why do we continue to do that for people or to people who, who suffer from mental illness, whether it be something minor or something major? We can't just keep sweeping it under the rug. Um, and like I said, we, we've come a long way. We have a longer way to go. Um, we have a lot of generational um, issues that have been handed down, you know, from slavery to now that we still deal with. There's a lot of things associated with the stigma that we don't even begin to understand or root it, you know, in slavery. You know, we just keep the cycle going. Um, but I think the more we have uh, people taking an interest and in, in bringing awareness and in, in talking about it, and not sweeping it under the rug, the better off, you know, we'll begin to be um, as a people, as African-Americans, as uh, African-American women, um, you know, putting ourselves at the forefront to bring awareness is definitely a start. I actually love the term social and emotional support. Uh, I think that's a good job. I think that may be something that we need to start using in general when we talk about people getting assistance um, with their mental health. Um, that, that's a great term, I think. It is a great term. Unfortunately, it's not accepted necessarily, except within certain, certain set settings. Um, oftentimes when you do hear the language social and emotional um, support or social and emotional learning, um, it usually uh, refers to children Oftentimes in most settings where you're dealing with children, especially within school settings, like you mentioned, um, working for um, um, early childhood. 
And when you say that, you know, in the so-called adult world, um, especially when it comes to um, prescriptions and um, making diagnoses, then that's not a term that's unfortunately, ex I won't say that it's not accepted, but there's something about this medical profession or in the profession of mental health, um, they like to use words that can match um, their purpose, if that makes sense. Mm. So this is why oftentimes many um, therapists are challenged when it comes to providing treatment, because you may go to get assistance with, let's say, depression, but that may not necessarily be covered in terms of actually the payment. So then the therapist may say, well, you know what, we're going to put this label on you because if we say that you have this, then we can actually get the treatment approved, you know, by your MCO or by your insurance company. So this world um, is not really, um, it's not designed really <laughs> to help us get the social and emotional, our social and emotional needs met because not all the time, it's not always in our favor. But if we did live in a world where we all accepted that, then it would look a lot different because we would know wholeheartedly that, you know, when I come to get help and I want to get help because of the emotions that I'm having or because of, you know, what I may be going through socially, then I can respect that you really are about the business of helping me. And our, the society that we live in, especially um, those who prey on us for the purpose of making money is not always in our favor. And I'm not saying everyone, I'm just saying oftentimes that's what I have seen, you know, in my practice as a therapist. Um, and this would be for Lakisha, you and Kim. What do you, what do you ladies think Former singer from Destiny's Child, uh, Michelle Williams, I think, just announced the other day that she checked herself into uh, a mental health facility because she was dealing with depression and she's been very open about it. And so I know how so many of us follow celebrities and glorify celebrities. Do you think with celebrities being as open as they are about their mental health issues and crises, do you think that that helps to break down the walls in terms of the stigmas that are associated? Does, does it seem like it may help people to be more open about their own issues when you see um, celebrities being public about theirs? I think so. I, I think so. I think celebrities have always um, helped to set trends, help to make things popular, and, you know, because people look up to them. So when people see celebrities, whether they want to be role models or not, whether they want to be an example or not, it definitely plays a part in um, the masses of the people being able to maybe feel more comfortable because if, hey, if she's doing it, then it must mean that it's okay. No different from fashion. She's wearing it. Even though I may be 10,000 sizes smaller or larger, I can wear it too. You know, we, celebrities set trends. And I think in this case, it was a good thing because it's making it, it's normalizing it. You know, it's saying that, you know what, hey, if she did it and, you know, nobody thought it was a bad idea, then I can do it. So in that case, I, I would say yes, and I would say it's a good thing.
I definitely think um, it's a good thing. And it just makes me think back to uh, the recent issues or the, or the recent situations, you know, like with um, Kate Spade or Anthony Bourdain, um, you know, Robin Williams, you know, just to name a few, you know, people always say, well, why does it take a celebrity to kill themselves or why does it take for a celebrity to do this for people, you know, to understand or for it to bring awareness? Well, when we grow up watching people, I don't want to say idolizing people, like, for example, with Robin Williams, I was really sad about that. Um, reason being is because I don't, I don't know anybody who's ever committed suicide. So to grow up watching him from Mork and Mindy all the way up until his situation took place, he's the closest thing or the closest person that I knew to do that. So it was something that was very, very sad um, to watch such a talented person suffer in silence, to have to end his life and then yes, for it to then in return bring awareness um, to people, you know, people have to understand it's not the celebrity itself. It's just sometimes those are the closest people that we know to deal with or have certain situations take place. And unfortunately, you know, their bad situations or unfortunate situations, but they do help to bring awareness. They do help other people to seek the help that they need for whatever issues that they are going through. You know, it's um, unfortunate in itself that it always takes something bad to happen for people to open their eyes um, to whatever it is that's going on. But yeah, I, I specifically re I remember recently someone posted, why is it every time a celebrity does something or they're, they're murdered or this happened and then we want to take interest in it. I mean, well, that unfortunately, that, that's the person who we grew up watching. That's the only person that we know that experienced that particular situation. Of course, yeah, we do feel, you know, a certain way about it. I traveled the world with Anthony Bourdain, you know, that broke my heart. I was watching the episode the other day and um, I told my, I just shook my head and I told my husband, I was like, damn, Anthony, you know, but unfortunately, you know, it takes situations like that for people to have an aha or a wake up, you know, moment. And it's at the expense of someone else. But, you know, it's it's still bringing awareness to and, and bringing certain situations to light that people need to be made aware of. And I definitely believe, you know, I agree with you 100 um, percent. It's making people aware. Um, and it, it does normalize things. And I'm reminded of just people that I've talked to. And, you know, I mean, I've had um, people come to me for therapy and counseling. And they talk about how they brag, you know, to their friends, like, girl, you need to get you a therapist. Because, see, I got mine. You need to get yours. So it's becoming like, okay, you know what? It's just like I went and got me a pair of red bottoms. Girl, I got me a therapist too, or I got me a new man. I mean, I don't know. And when I heard that for the first time, I giggled. I'm like, you know, okay, so you're bragging, you know, about the fact that you are, you know, you have a therapist. I mean, that's, that's awesome. I mean, and I'm not saying it in any kind of funny way. I'm saying that is really a good thing because for so long, so many people have had to suffer in silence and to know that 
whether it's a celebrity or whomever has given you a voice to say, you know what, damn it, this is okay. Yeah, I got a dang on therapist. Now what? What you going to do about it? Okay, I got one. You need to get one. I mean, I'm just, <laughs> you know, for us, sometimes we have to put it in a language where we just kind of, you know, give it, give it to people raw. So I appreciate um, what has happened or the, the um, changes that I've seen over the last, I would say really maybe about the last five years or so. And I've seen a lot of major changes. And I believe a lot of it also has to do with, um, well, it's kind of the same thing, but reality TV. You know, you have Ayala Vanza, you know, who is not necessarily a therapist, but she's in that type of setting and she is providing coaching and she's helping people change their lives. She's fixing folks' lives. And so now this is broadcast all over television saying, listen, get you some. So, okay, that's popular. There's another um, doctor, I believe it's Dr. Sherry. Uh, and the only reason I, I'm familiar with her is because I met her at a conference and I have one of her books. I think she used to do the, um, with the Braxton's, if I'm not mistaken. And so, you know, hey, this is a popular thing. Everybody got their doctor. You got Dr. Phil, you know, you got all of these people over the last really more than five years that have come on the scene and now it's a talk show. Now it's a reality show. You know, now it's a, a television show that is highlighting to the entire world that, you know, people have issues and challenges and things that they want to work out and it is okay. Unlike Maury Povich and shoot, I don't even know some of the uh, other people who are out here who have these crazy shows, Jerry Springer, you know, where, yeah, they're dealing with challenges, but they're not getting the help. So I think that's what reality TV, social media, um, stars um, or entertainers um, have done for, you know, um, this, this particular profession. And it is great. Also, too, I think that we have to, again, help to normalize it in just our daily conversations or things that we talk about with people, you know, for example, you know, somebody might be like, oh, God, you know, um, my foot has been hurting. And what's the first thing we say? Girl, you better go see a podiatrist. Hello. Or if, if we have vaginal issues, where do we go? We go to see a gynecologist. If we have back issues, we go see a chiropractor. So if you're having mental health issues, then you need to go see someone who helps to help you deal with those, with those mental health issues. You know, there's somebody for every part of your body that you know you need to go and help about you know and again the person who's dealing with cancer not to to say that cancer is not a major thing because it is but you know we don't we don't talk down or tell that person who's telling you that they've been diagnosed with breast cancer to to get over it or not to seek the help that they need so the more that we start to normalize it in our daily lives and in our daily conversations, the more normalized it will become um, for everybody else. If a person breaks their leg, they get a cast. You know, you don't tell them to get over that. You know, they go and they get the help to help them to strengthen that leg up again. So 
Sometimes people need to go and help somebody strengthen up their minds again. And you don't have to wait for something to be wrong with you either to go see a therapist. You can just have a therapist just to just for maintenance purposes. You know, you can go yeah, and see Beverly, a therapist. You're speaking. You're speaking. <laughs> it's called maintenance. You know, right. Akila, I know you may have people who have you on a retain, you know, retainer. Like, look, I don't know when I might need her, but you know, I got her right here just in case I do. So, right, I, exactly. Everything that you're saying, one hundred percent. And I, I'm oftentimes teaching this. You know, I'm, I make it light and you know have a little fun with it. But everything that you just said, absolutely. You know, physical, mental, spiritual, emotional. You know, all of these things they work together. And so if you're experiencing something that's challenging you mentally, don't you know that it's also going to affect you physically? Yeah. If you're experiencing something that may be challenging you physically, don't you know that it may affect, affect your spirit? You know, it's, so they all work together and you're absolutely right. When we are a whole person and that's why I love what I do because I love holistic health. I don't believe in separating. I believe in the Trinity. <laughs> you know, mm -hmm. mind, body, spirit, mind, body, soul, it all works together as one. And we cannot disconnect. No, one is not more important than the other. So our mental health is just, if, just as important as our spiritual health. Our spiritual health is just as important as our physical health. And our physical health is just as important as our emotional health. So they're all important. And thank you so much for saying it just that way. You have a, a project called the Green Dress Project. So can you tell us about the Green Pro Dress Project a little bit? And what are other things that we can do to raise awareness and to make people comfortable with acknowledging mental health issues and, and getting assistance? Um, the Green Dress Project came about, you see, a few years, it was a few years ago. Um, the dress represents everything that a woman doesn't feel when she's dealing with a mental illness. Um, you know, a dress makes a woman feel sexy. A dress makes a woman feel like she just, she just shit basically, you know, she's just strutting her stuff. And when you are depressed, there is, you can't take a shower sometimes. There's nothing sexy about a funky woman, you know? Um, there's nothing sexy about someone who can't get out of bed to brush their teeth or to comb their hair. So a dress is the opposite of what we feel when you're feeling you know, depressed or down or just whatever the case may be. And of course, um, green is the color for mental health awareness. Green represents um, life. Um, it represents renewal. It represents so much more. Again, the opposite of what we feel when we're depressed or feeling um, down about ourselves. So that's kind of where the name in the logo itself came from um and it started off as me wanting to become a nonprofit and to receive money to help people who 
don't have the funds to either see a therapist or to pay for their medication or to get to a therapy session. The Green Dress Project was created to help alleviate or knock down any barrier or any excuse from getting the services that a person needs. And in addition to that, to bring awareness to depression and anxiety amongst African-American women, um, to let us know that it is okay, again, to hang up that cape and walk away. It is okay to sit in the tub and cry. It's okay to go to the beach and scream to the top of your lungs if that's what you are feeling. It's okay, and you're not alone. Um, I wanted us to also begin to accept that if we have received the diagnosis that it doesn't mean that your life is over, it doesn't mean that your life has to stop, and that your story is important. And so also us being able to share our story for that next person, you know, not just me sharing my story, but me sharing my story with you and then you sharing your story with the next person, you know, so that's what the green dress um, is about and how, how it came about. I kind of had to put things on hold with it when I was in school um, because it became too much. I was just too consumed with trying to get um, the nonprofit status. And um, even now with studying for my licensing exam, I had to kind of put things on hold but I um, hope to pick it back up and get my nonprofit status going and, you know, get a board going and everything and, and take things to the next level. But that's basically where the Green Dress Project came from, how we're evolved from. And it's on Facebook. So anybody that wants to join the group can join on Facebook, correct? Right. There's two, actually there's two separate groups. So there's the Green Dress Project. That's the open group that brings um, awareness where I post things where I'm a little bit behind, but I post any and everything pertaining to mental health that I feel is appropriate and needs to be shared. And then there's also the Green Dress Project Sister Circle, where I have a private group where women, it doesn't have to just be an African-American woman, it's just a woman, a female. Um, they join the group and they just either sit and watch others share their stories or talk about what's going on but it's just basically a non-judgmental place for us to come and in bed you know i i don't censor a whole lot um due to a couple of individuals i did have to kind of put a, a a clamper on posts being posted without me seeing them first because i don't want it to be a drama filled room either um but i it's an it's an open space for women to basically just just chat, you know. And some women come on and they talk about what they're feeling that day. Some days we might we might be quiet and not say anything at all. Somebody might post an interesting article or just just anything. But it's just a, a, a non judgmental space for us to come and just be us. Yeah, I'm usually like full of full of a lot to say. I think it's like the first time I, I, I don't. I just want to listen because it was it was a lot to take in. I'm like, I think it, it forced me to, to look at a lot of issues because I just had a family member diagnosed with depression. 
And so it has caused me to be more open-minded. It has caused me to listen more. And it has been quite a learning experience for me. And I think it's probably the first time in my life I've been speechless or quiet. I don't, I've always got something to say, probably talk a little too doggone much. But I'm just like, you know, it just, yeah, it's deep, you know what I mean? And it's, wow, I just don't know what to say. I just, your story, you're a strong woman. I mean, I'm a very open book, but when it comes to certain things, I don't like to share. And it takes a strong woman, a brave woman to come forward and say, this is my experience. Knowing that there will be some people that don't understand, but knowing there's going to be, but it's going to be a great amount of people that say, oh my God, finally somebody here or feels the same way I do. Finally there's someone who can, who have experienced what I do, what I have experienced, but yet at the same time have a solution for me. So many people who, who could uh, relate to what you're saying, but yet haven't gotten to the point to where you at and feel like they're in darkness. It's funny because a family member um, that was just recently diagnosed, the, the main thing that the family member kept saying to me and other family members is, I feel so alone. Like I can't relate to anybody. I can't, I feel like in the crowded room, I'm alone. The, the most important thing that you said as far as the solutions is the family un reaching out to get that support so that they can help their family go through and overcome it. I think, wow, it's just, this was a powerful uh, podcast and I'm just like, man, speechless. But at the same time, I got so many mixed emotions going. I want to thank you for just sharing what you shared. No, no problem at all. Like I, when I was asked, I was asked, was there anything that was off limits? And I'm like, no, I mean, no, not at all. You know, especially if it's going to help somebody else it, and it doesn't help me to keep it on the inside either so it is very liberating and very therapeutic in itself for me to share my story with other people so again I, I don't mind at all and thank you for having me on yeah. I agree when you talk about the therapeutic part because when you share your story with others I personally believe that that sometimes gives us these little gifts you know, talk about gratitude often and just being able to find the, the best thing that we can within our situation. And the little gifts that I'm referring to sometimes make to us feel like a trial. It may feel like a little sting. It may feel painful. But the reason that it's a gift is because it is a testimony to someone else. It's a little gift that we can share to someone else who may not necessarily ever get the opportunity to be able to relate ever again, but because of what you shared and what you gave of yourself, which is the transparency, you know, putting it all out there on the table, that person was able to walk away with something real, something that they can identify with, something that they can relate to. And that's what the sharing of a story will do. That's what the saying, you know what, I'm going to keep it real. That's what that does. So I look at these as little small gifts that are given to us so that we can give to someone else to help to make their life better. And I believe that that's exactly what you bought to our podcast today for our listeners, because we don't know who's out there right now who is listening to this podcast, and maybe they're feeling exactly 
how you're feeling or how you felt. And when you said something could have possibly resonated with them, that's a blessing. That's a gift. Again, thank you. Thank you. Thank you um, for being transparent, for allowing us to ask you questions that may very well have been tough, but you know, also letting us know that, hey, you know, there's nothing, you know, that you can't ask um, because that's how we actually change lives. And when um, you spoke earlier about the conversation that you would have um, if you were talking to one of the youth and, you know, you mentioned being able to share your story, you know, being able to let them know, hey, I know I've been through that. Those are the things that allow us to connect and know that we are human, you know, that human um, sense is still there. And I have always been a firm believer that in many situations, the best teacher is always going to be that person who has had the same or similar experiences as you have had. So this is where we get the name peer counselors, you know, or some people go into therapy. And in your case, this is the case because of what you've experienced. Who better to be my teacher? Who better to be my example than someone who has went through something similar to what I've been through? That is a gift. That is a blessing. And that's where the healing begins. Right. And, it, it, and you um, talking right now just made me think back to a time where um, a few years ago, um, I was getting a ride home from someone, um, I think that it was either way, it was supposed to be some money exchanged. And I think I either I said no or the person said no. And I was telling someone else about it. And they were saying that when you give to people and others are not willing to take it, that blessings are being blocked from both ends. Someone is trying to bless you with some gas money but yet you're blocking the other person's blessing that's given it to you. So I look at that as being the same. You know, my sharing is me blessing someone else. And hopefully that person will not block my blessing, you know what I mean, and not take in what I say. You may not feel it right now, but at some point in time, something that I said, is going to resonate with you, whether it be tomorrow, whether it be five or 10 years from now, you won't forget it. But something at some point in time is going to stick. And for me, that's the blessing that I gave to that person. You know, when you said that this is what came, um, what came over me or came to me, I, I like to see myself often as a visionary and as a spiritual guide, even just for myself. But when you said that, what came to my mind is this. Because of the blessings that you give from your heart and from your spirit, the Green Dress Project is going to be blessed because there is somebody out there who is going to hear your testimony. And the gift that you give out of your mouth, even though it's not financial, 
you're going to get that back tenfold, perhaps in a financial blessing. That's just what came to me as you spoke. So I'm speaking over your green dress project. And I am saying that somebody somewhere is going to hear your voice and what you're sharing, your mission, your advocacy work, the things that you're giving the people because of what you've been through is going to be such a huge blessing that they won't have a problem with being able to give you something green in return that you can actually cash in because it makes sounds like coins in your bank account. So that's what I'm sharing with you. I appreciate it. Thank you. <laughs> amen. Amen, amen. <laughs> Let the podcast say amen. <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. This this has this has been beautiful. And I do thank you, uh, Kim, for agreeing to come on the podcast um, and share with us. I also want people to, to understand that you don't actually have to have uh, a mental illness or anything like that to seek therapy. And you guys kind of talked about that when you talked about maintenance and preventive, and really it's like preventative care. Um, yeah. And I can share openly that I personally have seen a therapist before. Um, and I don't have a mental illness. There is no diagnosis. But sometimes we can get to a place in our lives where we are overwhelmed. And even those of us who know how to quote unquote self-soothe or to get ourselves back on track can hit a point in your life where you just need an extra push or an extra something that can help you get to that next hurdle. And so I just want people to understand too that you don't have to have something diagnosed or you don't have to have um, or, or feel like therapy and therapists are only for people who suffer with mental illness. It, it does help anybody. And I think that um, that's something that people need to understand as well. Absolutely. And you know, I'm going to second that motion for sure. Now, as a therapist, I have two. <laughs> And I laugh about that because, you know, you, you hear these things about, you know, every therapist needs a therapist. And we do. And I'm grateful for those individuals that I can go to and share what I'm feeling because guess what? I'm a human being. And if my job and if my calling is to help others, then I need to make sure that I'm getting all the maintenance. I'm getting all the detailing, you know, I'm getting all the waxing that I need so this machine can run properly on the road. So I, I'm, I'm grateful and I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that, um, Akilah, because I do believe that that is another um, misconception about therapy. People think that it's only for when something goes wrong. No, it's also for when things are going right so that we can help them to stay on the right track so that we can help you to stay on the right track. Um, preventive measures is always best and therapy can be for anyone, anyone, no matter what stage of life you're in and what you might be dealing with. 
Right. And I, and I agree. Um, and you know, when you're going through, uh, therapy training or going through your classes, whatever, they always refer back to, to self-care and they always use that scenario when you're on the airplane and they always say, you know, before you help the person next to you, you know, you got to be able to help yourself first. So you put your mask on first before you help the next person. And that's why mental health, um, awareness, mental health services, you know, whatever it is that whomever wants to call it is so important for us um, to, to, to seek the help, especially women, especially mothers, especially wives, because, you know, we know men, they, they're the head of the household, but we all know who really is the head of the household. We all know who run the household. Ooh, and we all know if mama's mental health is not together, there's no meals, your house Hello. is not clean, nothing Hello. in your house is in working order. So it is important for us, whether it be for maintenance, whether it be because it's, it's prescribed for us to do so. It is really important for us to take care of our mental health because we are the ones who keep everything together. They don't say that 75% of work is with the woman for no reason. It's, it's a lot of truth in that. And in that oh, yeah. truth, we have to have us together before everybody else is together. Amen, sister. Amen. <laughs> I appreciate that fact. Beverly, I just want to personally thank you, um, my fellow therapists, to be sister. I appreciate your time, your honesty, your transparency, and everything that you brought to conversations with the Royal Empress. Because you, my dear Empress, um, you've given our listeners something to think about. And the one thing that a woman is always going to do she's always going to help lift her sisters up and that's exactly what you did so thank you we look forward to maybe you joining us again in the future and we really want you to take some time and just share with us how our listeners might be able to get in contact with you have a lot going on you mentioned the green dress project how should our listeners get in contact with you thank you so much for having me on um one of the things that I'm hoping to do um, in the near future is to hone in on my speaking abilities to be able to stand on the stage and to share my health and my story with others. And I think that being a part of podcasts such as yours um, is helping to kind of put me on that path. So again, I, I thank you and I appreciate you all for having me on. Um, the best way to uh, reach me would be um, via the two um, things mentioned on Facebook. Um, there's the Green Dress Project um, and also the Green Dress Project Sister Circle. Um, those are two avenues that um, anyone is welcome to join. Um, no men, I don't know if men listen to your podcast or not, but they will not be able to be a part of it. <laughs> Circle Unless they, they put a wig on, huh? Trying to get in. Right. Um, it is with this only. Um, but those are definitely uh, two different ways um, to reach out. And I am responsive um, on both of those sites. 
Um, well, thank you so much for sharing that information with us. We appreciate it. Um, wow. All I can say is W-O-W. -W, wow. You know, um, gosh, I, I don't know, but thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And I wish you the absolute best success and look forward to you joining us in the future. And also, I look forward to you joining me on a stage. Coming soon to the listeners. Coming soon somewhere. We'll let you know the details. We got something planned over here. Yes, yes, yes. Please, and thank you so much. All right. Well, thank you, audience, for joining us on another episode of Conversations with the Royal Empress. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Conversations with the Royal Empress. For more information on the Royal Empress, please visit our website at www.royalempress.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter.